Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast program sponsored by the Holly Street Church of Christ in Denver, Colorado. Today, we've got myself, Jeff, and Brian, but we also have a special guest, our preacher, Alan Hitchin. Alan, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, always a pleasure to, to be with you guys. So for those of you who may not realize that this is the second part uh, of a two-part podcast, uh, in our previous podcast, we introduced the subject of the Bible being the inspired Word of God. Uh, we talked to some degree about what inspiration means in that context. We also talked about how that applies to all of uh, the Bible, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, and was also uh, capped, if you will, or you know, within this, the scriptures, within the Bible, within the New Testament uh, as well. We have the promises that God would make sure providentially that his word and Jesus' words, you know, would abide forever, guide us to the truth, and that based on the inspiration of the scriptures, inspiration of the original scriptures, and such promises, that we can have uh, confidence that the, uh, you know, God's word, God's guidance, uh, God's commands, God's expectations of us today, uh, we can still, uh, you know, understand, read, learn, study, uh, to be pleasing to God. And so that was sort of like, you know, part one. Uh, I think today, Alan, we're going to sort of switch gears and look at not the original writings, you know, through the inspired apostles and prophets, but how those writings came to us today, various translations, etc. Is that a fairly good quick summary of what we're covering today? Yeah, that's what we're going to cover today. But as I mentioned in the last podcast, if we don't have a belief or conviction that the original writings were inspired, then all future uses of translations and everything else are, are virtually meaningless. We have to accept that the books that were written by the apostles and prophets and by the Old Testament prophets were not written by them, but they were written by the Holy Spirit. And that's a good point, because you know, I'm thinking even within, like, you know, court of law, there's something called, you know, chain of custody. If you have, you know, some evidence originally collected, you want to make sure that throughout whatever process is involved in getting that evidence into custody, eventually into the court, etc., you know, wasn't tampered with, uh, wasn't adulterated, etc. And so it is with the uh, the scriptures. Yeah, that's that's perfect way to put it. Um, you know, Hebrews eleven verse six says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him." Now, within this verse, there are several necessary inferences. The first necessary inference, of course, is that God did send Jesus. God did love the world and send his only begotten son, and that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Whenever I preach a series on faith, the first three are always, there is a God, Jesus is God's son, and the Bible is God's word. Because without that, we don't have a foundation. 
God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, but they can only diligently seek Him through His Word. And if they don't have complete conviction and confidence that it is His Word, then they're always going to be hesitating. They're always going to be compromising. They're always going to be wondering. And we have to remove that. We have to have God's people need to be convicted. They need to know there is a God. They need to have no doubt whatsoever that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again. He's now at the right hand of God exalted. And his word is just as pure and clean and authoritative today as it has ever been. And with those core convictions, we can get through life. And the fiery darts of the evil one, we can quench them with that faith. But if we don't have that faith, then we are going to be tossed to and fro and carried about by by every wind of doctrine. And sad to say, it's playing out in many of the denominations today. Their preachers are now telling them that Paul was only a man and some of his writings are only man's doctrines, and therefore we can set them aside. And once you open that door, there's no way to close it. And once you open that door, everything becomes relative, no longer black and white, no longer absolute. And that's why some of the translations we have today are, uh, they, they don't have these core convictions, so they don't contain everything that God has revealed to us. Oh, and in some ways, what you're describing, at least in my mind, is on the reader or on the listener who want to have a love, if you will, for truth, for love for determining, you know, what God would have them do. You know, I'm reminded of the Bereans that Paul encountered in Acts 17, that at least according to verse 11, were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and search the scriptures daily, whether what he was preaching was, was so. Uh, also, uh, I'm kind of reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, you know, Paul talking to the Thessalonians. Uh, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you. believe so you know a willingness to listen a willingness to dig into but alan in some ways that fundamental desire for wanting to know the truth regardless of how it might impact our lives and and that's exactly right i mean think of what jesus said in john 8 30 31 and 32 to those who believe he said uh if you abide in my word you will be my true disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. But if we have doubts about what is his word, then we can't know the truth, we can't be his disciples, and we can't be uh, free. So these these passages uh, are critical. You know, we, we looked at 2 Timothy 3 in our previous podcast, that all scripture is given by inspiration. And I believe that with all my heart. It, it is the core conviction that leads me to make every sacrifice in order to obey everything in the scriptures, to repent of everything that God says is wrong, and to build my life, my marriage, my family, uh, every aspect of life 
is based on the fact that all scripture is given by inspiration and all scripture is profitable for doctrine. All of our beliefs in the church are based on scripture. All of the rebukes that we have are based on scripture. Now again, when you don't believe that, uh, you will find that there are people who will not reprove people who are doing things that the scriptures condemn because they no longer believe that the scripture is given by inspiration. And so these are crucial matters that before we can ever talk about translations, we have to talk about the purity and absolute uh, conviction that God's word was properly relayed to us and properly kept down through the centuries. Yeah, and as I think it's important that you're tying this back to faith, because no doubt if you do not believe in the efficacy, if you will, of the scriptures, then it, it opens you up for a lot of things. One is these additional creeds that have been made by many, many different religions in the world. In fact, Jeff and I just wrapped up a series on traditions of men versus the word of God. And what we saw throughout that series is that for a variety of reasons, men and women have tried to assail the scriptures and say they're not reliable or we need additional revelation. But yet the scriptures itself says, no, it's sufficient for everything. So like you pointed out, Alan, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which you focused on in the last episode, that not only is all scripture given by inspiration of God, but it's giving us everything we need for life. So it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So then you would have to ask yourself, well, if God has given me everything that I need, kind of like 2 Peter 1, 3, right? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Then why do I need another revelation? I don't, right? I have everything I need. Now, with that said, and I know you're going to get into this more, Alan, we realize that there could be and has been, in fact, changes to even the Bible, and we'll get more into that. But one other passage I'd just like to mention real quick that you also touched on in the last podcast was 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, where here Paul says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So I like, Alan, how Paul draws this contrast here about words which man's wisdom speaks compared to that pure truth that we get from above. Excellent, Brian. And, and, and that's really the foundation that we're going to start with in uh, this podcast is that God gave Paul not just the thoughts that were in his mind, but the words to convey those thoughts. Because if you think about it, that is the most important point. Uh, when I have an idea in my mind that I want my son to do, I have to find the right words, the exact right words, so that when he reads what I've written to him, he will get the same concept. So if I say mow the lawn, if I say clean the house, and then I have to go into detail, I want you to make sure you do this and this and this and this, and then I come home and he didn't do something, and he said, but dad, you didn't put that in the note. And I read the note, and I go, oh, you're right, son, it was, this was my fault. And so when God is giving us his word, he wants to make sure that we can get an exact picture 
of what he wants by those words. Now, when he put the concepts in their mind, it's very clear that God, the Holy Spirit put these thoughts into their mind. But then the Holy Spirit gave them the words to convey them to others. And that's the critical point that we need to understand about inspiration and we need to understand about translations. And that is that when God gave the words, he gave them as verbs or he gave them as nouns, he gave them as prepositions, he gave them in past tense or future tense or present tense. And all of those things factor in. And one of the most interesting things uh, is found in a controversy that Jesus had with the Sadducees. The Sadducees, of course, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. Uh, They thought that there's only this life and then it's finished. And Jesus tells them, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures. This is in Matthew chapter 22, verses 29 through 33. Now, I think our listeners would be very benefited by hearing the whole passage. So, Jeff, would you like to read Matthew 22, uh, verses 29 through 33, please? Certainly. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And the resurrection, they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. The astonishing part of the teaching is the tense of a verb. In verse 32, he says, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if he had said, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this would not be an argument at all. But he said, I am. And he said, I am to Moses long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead. But the point is not to prove the resurrection here. The point is to prove that we don't know the scriptures if we don't understand that even the tenses of verbs can prove a doctrine. And so as we go through the scriptures, those tenses are important. And since they're important, the translators need to adequately portray them because if the people who translated the Septuagint, which was the Bible the Jews were using in the days of Christ, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew uh, language, if they had not adequately conveyed that I am, Jesus would not have been able to make this argument. So the point that I want to make here is is that these tenses are important because doctrines, these people were mistaken not knowing the scriptures because they missed that present tense. And if that's how precise the scriptures are, the scriptures are so precise that even the tenses of verbs can make doctrinal points, then we need to factor that in to our translation. And in Galatians, Paul makes a similar argument based on the singular nature of a noun. It's not plural, but it's singular. So let's look at that verse. Uh, Brian, would you like to read Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18 for us, please? Sure. Here it says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. 
Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. And once again, it's it's not my purpose here to look at Paul's argument and talk about the law of Moses. It's only my purpose here to show you that the fact that seed was singular and not plural was the basis of the doctrine that he is putting forth here. And so tenses matter, verbs matter, prepositions matter, participles matter. Every every part of the grammar and the words themselves need to be taken into consideration. When, As a translator, I am now compelled to keep the nouns as nouns, the verbs as verbs, to make sure that the tenses are the right tenses, to make sure that the prepositions that give relations between two uh, subjects give them their, their purpose, uh, those those matter. Uh, argument is often made in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of your sins. Well, there's a preposition there, unto. What does unto mean? Well, in the original language, unto meant entering into somewhere that you had not yet been. And so, by repenting and believing they were, or excuse me, by repenting and being baptized, they were entering into the remission of sins, which they had never been before. Well, if I don't translate that word unto properly, then we're going to miss that doctrine. And unfortunately, by the missing of that doctrine, then suddenly we say, well, baptism isn't important, which some people are saying today because they are not properly translating that preposition. So prepositions matter, and tenses matter, and uh, singular and plural matter. And as a tra- if I want a translation, I need to have a translation where I can see that. Because if I can't see whether it's singular or plural because the translators didn't think it was important enough to show me that, then that's going to be uh, a detriment to me as a, as a Christian. Oh, and I might, you know, contrast that with other forms that people claim of inspiration you know for instance as i think we mentioned real passing in our first podcast that uh, you know shakespeare you know, was was inspired you know when he wrote his plays well involvement of god at all in that kind of inspiration uh, some people think well yeah the bible's inspired uh, or infallible in matters of faith or practice or morals but you know, it might have made errors in terms of you know history or science, uh, especially with respect to evolution, for instance. Um, others might say, well, yeah, the writers were inspired, at least in terms of the Holy Spirit giving them thoughts to try and convey in their own way, in their own language. Um, and so, what we're, you know, the point I think you're you're trying to get across to our audience is the inspiration claimed by the scriptures is a lot tighter or more precise, more than just thoughts, more than just ideas, more than just the writers paraphrasing, and I use that word intentionally, paraphrasing what the script, or what the Holy Spirit gave them, but more 
down to, as you said, nouns, tenses, verbs, uh, grammar, a, a whole lot tighter than, unfortunately, a lot of people are willing to uh, admit or uh, believe. Well, that's, that is a, uh, that will make a huge difference in the method of translation. For example, the Old King James translation, if you read the original preface, not, not all of the uh, Bibles today have it, but in their original preface, they make it very clear that we believe that every word is inspired and that the, and our goal is to translate every word so that you can see as much as possible what was in the original letter. And with that as their goal, I, I have a lot more confidence using their work. Now, a lot of people today like to study Greek and they like to study uh, languages so that they can kind of look over the shoulders of the translators just to see. And, you know, when, when I studied Greek, our, our, our teacher made it very clear, you're not going to learn anything in Greek that you didn't already see in English. But what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to see why the translators went in that direction. And when they do their job properly, and again, God's providence is involved here. He promised that his word would always be here. And, and it is. And I think that there's translations today. The Old King James, the New King James, the Old American Standard, the New American Standard. These translations and these translators made it their goal to make sure that every word, every tense, every noun, every preposition, every participle reflects in the language of the translated language. Now, what happens, though, when you do that is it makes it a lot harder to read. And so a lot of people don't like to read the, uh, the Bible in, in the King James, New King James, or the Old American Standard, New American Standard, because it is. It's not as easy to read as some of these later translations because they're trying to give you the tenses and the nouns and the verbs, and they're trying to put it as closely as the Holy Spirit originally did. And then that means we have to work a little harder. But we're working a little harder with what is accurate. And so, you know, a lot of people like to have a ruler that only has quarter or eighth inch marks on it because it's easier to read. It's a lot easier to read a ruler that only has half inches or only has eighth inches on it. But it's not accurate. You need uh, a ruler with 30 seconds or 60 fourths, or you might even need something that gives you thousands of inches. Like when you're working on an engine and you need to put a piston in and you need to have an exact number. And so the more precise, the more complicated, but the more precise, the better chance you have of getting it right. And so when we're looking at this, the scriptures, we need to understand the Holy Spirit gave Paul the tenses. He gave Paul the verbs. He gave him the nouns. And I expect my translator to give that to me as well. I like that, Alan, because in essence, we're, we're sort of mirroring, if you will, you know, the emphasis that the Bible places on itself within the Bible, mirroring that with what we want from modern translations. Because if, if the Bible was revealed to the writers and the, uh, the apostles and the prophets in like a paraphrase kind of manner, and they sort of paraphrase the words, uh, you know, a modern paraphrase would probably be just fine. But since, if, as you more than adequately pointed out, you know, there's precision that has to be there. Precision in the way it was revealed to the apostles and the prophets. And hence, by implication, 
we need to preserve that precision today. And as well, I don't know if you're going to get into it a little bit later on, but there's all different kinds of translation styles we see today, uh, a whole range, if you will, to include paraphrases and to include those that are more, I'll say, precise. Um, and so we need to be careful. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And what I'm trying to emphasize to our listeners is what Paul was trying to emphasize. Uh, let me read verse 13 again, 1 Corinthians 2, 13. These things we also speak. The things that were in God's mind were placed into Paul's mind, and then they were placed in the Scripture. Now, the word things means thoughts, ideas, concepts, uh, those that were in God's mind that he wanted to convey to us. And he sent the Holy Spirit down with the specific goal of giving the Holy Spirit the right to give us the words and compare the spiritual things in such a way that we could get them on this earth with spiritual words. And again, Jesus told the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you don't know the scriptures because you miss the tense of that verb. And Paul said that if you don't understand seed means Christ, then you will miss the point. So, and it's even more precise than that. In, in Matthew 5, 18, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by any means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Now, a jot and a tittle are very similar to our dotting I or our cross T. Now, if you don't cross a T, it looks like an L or it looks like an I. If you don't dot an I, then you're looking at it going, I don't know what that is. Is that an E? Is that a part of a U? Uh, jots and tittles would change the meaning. And so the whether an I is dotted or not, a T is crossed or not, that's how precise Jesus said the law is. And of course, his word is just as precise. So when we, we understand the precision with which the first uh, Bible that was written was given to us, then from that point on, we're going to hold that in respect. And, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is Jesus knew about the curse, the curse that was given in the tower of, at the Tower of Babel. God devised different languages. He confused all of the people and gave them all of the languages that we have today. And that is, has become a little bit of a problem for us as uh, Christians as we go into all the world and to every nation uh, now we have to realize that I can't preach the gospel in English to these people. I have to preach the gospel in Spanish, or I have to preach the, the gospel in uh, French or German or Italian or any other language. And so I have to study that language in order to be able to do that. But once again, I have to be sure that whatever new language I'm giving it in, I've got the same tenses, the same words, the same nouns. And so that's the responsibility and, and Jesus knew that was the case. And so that is clearly part of what was factored into the promise that my words will be kept forever. God knew the Bible would have to be translated. Clearly it would have to be translated. In the first century, what they did is they, he gave them the ability to preach in tongues. In Peter's first sermon uh, in Acts chapter 2, it says, The multitude were amazed because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So uh, the, the people from uh, various parts, from Rome, Cyrene, from 
Galatia and Cappadocia, from uh, Bithynia, from Babylon, from Ethiopia. And they were all hearing God's word in their own language because God has the ability to do that. And that's what the Holy Spirit did here. Well, that's what we have to do. We have to take the word of God and preach it in a different language and then translate it into a different language. And that's what's happened. That's what happened in 1611. It came into English. Prior to that, it came into German through Luther. And it came into different languages. And that has continued to happen. There are thousands of different languages that the Bible has been translated into. And so, uh, but, the, but the critical thing is people have to understand that since the originals were inspired, we have to be sure that we get it as close as we can to the original. Because if we don't, those people will never have the opportunity to see the scriptures the way that God had originally gave them. Yeah, I really appreciate, Alan, your emphasis here on all of the work that God put into making sure that what he revealed would be available to people that speak a variety of languages. And, you know, as you touched on earlier, you know, when you think about the original languages that we read about, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, You've spent some time talking about how they all had to be carefully translated word for word, verb for verb, noun for noun, tense for tense. And so if somebody were to go and buy a Bible today, it could, I could see how it'd be confusing to them because there are so many. In fact, if you look at a lot of the modern translations, some of them have really materially changed what the truth is saying. And so... Wondering if you could help our listeners, Alan, to kind of understand, number one, the differences in the different translations of the Bible today, and, you know, really how, what direction should they go when they're selecting a Bible to use for their own studies? Well, that's, that's the million-dollar question. That's the most important aspect of the things that we have to understand as Christians when we're going out to buy a translation. Now, I know that not all of our listeners are English speakers. So some of this will not be directly applicable, but you still need to look. Many, many nations have two or three different translations available to them. And you need to look at the purpose and goal of the translator, or you will not be able to understand these things. And so, as I mentioned earlier, um, before the turn of the, of the last century, in other words, before the 1900s began, there was no translations that were made that the translators did not believe what we're talking about today as far as ver verbal inspiration, as far as tense for tense and all of those things. Starting in the mid-1900s, 1940s and 50s, uh, translations started coming out with a very different philosophy. And rather than me trying to explain it to you, what I'd like to do is uh, I'd like to take the, the English Standard Version in their preface. I just want to read part of their preface to you. And of course, if you have an English Standard Version, it's in there. You can look at the preface and you can find exactly what this says. So let's read this because what they do is they, they give us a pretty good understanding of the different philosophies of translations today. So let me read this preface. The ESV, which is English Standard Version, is an essentially literal translation. 
that seeks as far as possible to capture the precise wording of the original text and the personal style of each Bible writer. As such, its emphasis is on word-for-word correspondence, at the same time taking into account differences of grammar, syntax, and idiom between current literal literary English and the original languages. Thus, it seeks to be transparent to the original text, letting the reader see as directly as possible the structure, which means the, the, the grammar, the nouns, the verbs, the prepositions, the structure, and the meaning, which means translating each word as closely as possible in meaning from Greek into English or Greek into Spanish or Greek into whatever language needs to be. The meaning of the original. So this translation is emphasizing that. Now, the rest of the uh, uh, preface says this. In contrast to the English Standard Version, some Bible translations have followed a thought-for-thought rather than word-for-word translation philosophy. Now, that's a critical point. Paul said the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him do this. Paul said that when the Holy Spirit put the thought in his mind, he was given the words to convey the thought. But these Bible translations, thought-for-thought translation, means that I can take the thought the Holy Spirit gave to Paul, and then I can give you my thoughts, and I will be able to convey to you exactly what the Holy Spirit meant. Now, clearly, that is not going to be possible. If Paul couldn't do it, how can people do it today? So, it says... They have followed a thought-for-thought rather than word-for-word translation philosophy. Emphasizing, here's a word you'll just have to become familiar with, it doesn't really mean anything, dynamic equivalence rather than the essentially literal meaning of the original. A thought-for-thought translation, now again, I'm still reading their their preface, a thought-for-thought translation is of necessity more inclined to reflect the interpretive opinions of the translator and the influences of the contemporary culture. So, essentially, this translation is trying to be literal. The English English Standard Version is trying to give you verb for verb, tense for tense, Noun for noun, singular for singular, plural for plural, they're, spo- they're trying to get it exactly. Now, the newer translation, the translator reads the text and then says, what do I think this text means? And then he translates the meaning. And oftentimes, you don't get at all what the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul. You get the thoughts of the translator who is now trying to give you his idea of what the Holy Spirit meant. And if you have a translation like that, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to teach error. You're going to have the interpretive opinions of the philosophers or the the translators of the 20th or 21st century instead of the verbal inspiration of the scriptures. And so it's critical, and I realize that it's hard to understand all these things, and, you know, I read them very quickly, 
But the main point that I want us to understand is some translations are literal, word for word, and some translations are paraphrases of thought for thought. And if you want a translation that is going to give you the same inspired concepts as the original, you need a word for word and not a thought for thought. You know, I appreciate that uh, overview uh, and the emphasis on word for word. What might also be beneficial to our listeners is to get specific about various translations. Uh, at least according to some of the research I've seen, as you said early on, more the, the earlier translations into English tended to be more word for word. Uh, for example, uh, King James, as, as you mentioned, uh, 1611. Uh, American Standard Version, uh, 1901, which uh, unfortunately I think it's basically out of print. Uh, New American Standard, although that's still available today, uh, originally in 1960. Uh, a redoing of the King James in the or via the New King James Version, uh, 1982. Uh, ESV, English Standard Version, you mentioned. Uh, I think, generally speaking, all those claim to be more of a word-for-word. Word. Uh, I don't know if you know of any others, Alan, but uh, and feel free to comment on that aspect. But uh, would like to also hear how some of the thought-for-thought thought translations, how you know, what, what sort of prefaces do they have? Well, and of course, what I'm trying to help all of our listeners is... You know, a lot of times we just jump right into the Bible. We never read that preface. What, 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 what do we care about what the translators were thinking? We just want to see the finished product. But in this case, the finished product is going to be modified by the preface, by the modifications that the translators are telling us they're doing in the preface. So if you read the preface of the King James, American Standard, New American Standard, New King James, and as we just did in the English Standard Version, they're going to say, now they're going to introduce another term we haven't talked very much about, but they're going to say, we believe in plenary inspiration. And plenary is just a big fancy word for word for word, thought for thought, tense for tense, noun for noun. Uh, that's plenary inspiration. In other words, we believe the Bible, that's how the Bible was originally written, and that's how the Bible is going to be translated in our translation. We're going to get exactly as close as we possibly can, the exact same word, 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 tense, 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 uh, noun, noun, verb, verb. Everything is going to be as close as it can to the original. Therefore, when you look at it, you can trust that the words that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul are as closely as humanly possible recorded in these translations. Now, you make an interesting point, and, and here's, another here's another preface, okay? Here's what the New International Version translators, this is their statement of what they're trying to do. So let's read that. The New International Version is a completely new translation of the Holy Bible. The first concern of the translators has been the accuracy of the translation and its fidelity to the thought of the biblical writers. They have striven for more than a word-for-word -word translation because thought patterns and syntax differ from language to language. Faithful communication of the meaning of the Bible demands frequent modifications 
in sentence structure. Now, that is a tremendous departure. When they say it's a completely new translation, they are not exaggerating in the least. They are not trying to do what the American Standard or the Old King James or the New King James, the New American Standard, they wanted a word for word. But these people are telling us we want more than word for word. We want thought for thought. We want to tell you what we think Paul was thinking and the Holy Spirit was thinking when he wrote these words. And we think we're capable of telling you what they were thinking and then we can change the language and convey it better in our words than the Holy Spirit's words. Now, you know, Jesus talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and this is, I think, about as close as you can come in today's world, is to take the scriptures and say, we can word it better than the Holy Spirit did. Because let's remember again, Paul didn't write those words. And so it's when when he speaks of faithful communication of the meaning of the writers of the Bible, how do they know? The Holy Spirit gave them those words. They the writers of the Bible, they didn't mean anything. What this what this should be saying is we want to faithfully communicate the meaning of the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of the Bible. But Again, this is their philosophy. So you, when you're reading the NIV, just understand that you're reading what they think the Holy Spirit meant when Paul said this. And sometimes you're going to be very disappointed. And so the concepts here are there is translations that are paraphrases. In other words, here's what Paul said and here's what we think Paul meant. And so, and the vast majority of translations written after the 1960s, starting with the Revised Standard Version, and then moving on to uh, the Living Bible, or to Good News for Modern Man, or uh, all of the other different translations. I can't even list them all because there's hundreds of them. Um, and so, they, the, the translator's philosophy, and I realize this is cumbersome, I realize that it's complicated, and I really apologize to our listeners because I don't really like quoting other people because it gets confusing. But since this is the preface of the Bible, I think we have to at least understand. Some translators believe the Bible is inspired word for word, and they will give you as close as they can in their translation what they said. Other people believe that the Bible is not inspired like that, and therefore we will give you the thoughts just like they gave us the thoughts. And of course, that's why some people say today, Paul thought that women shouldn't be preachers, uh, because he said that in 1 Corinthians uh, 14 and in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But the truth is, the Holy Spirit told Paul to write that. He didn't think it. And so the thoughts of Paul are not in there at all. Paul had no thoughts on it. Uh, the Holy Spirit had his thoughts on it. So this statement, let me read this just a little bit more uh, before we leave it, is the first concern of the translators has been the accuracy of the translation, its fidelity to the thought of the biblical writers. There are no thoughts of the biblical writers in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This statement is false to the core, but 
because it's their philosophy, the translation is going to be flawed. So when they go on to say, we want more than a word-for-word -word translation, uh, they're putting themselves above. And there's a, I, I hate to use the word arrogance because I don't like judging people, but there's, in this statement, there is a fearful lack of respect for the authority of the scriptures and for the inspiration of the scriptures. When they say that we want to communicate the meaning of the writers of the Bible, and we're going to frequently modify sentence structure, that should be a big flag for those of us who love the Bible and who love the scriptures and who believe they're inspired. I, I will read the New International Version from time to time just as, a, as a, an opportunity to compare it to others. But if I learn anything in the NIV that I've never seen before, I usually understand that that's because that's their interpretation. It's not what the scriptures actually say. Yeah, one example, Alan, I was thinking about as you were going through this for the NIV is Psalms 51.5. You know, so if you look at just that one example, if you were to read New King James, King James, American Standard, you know, David here saying, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. But if you go over to the NIV, the NIV says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, if you look at the way that's worded, it conveys the thought of original sin and Calvinism, right? It has those thoughts. And so it's an example of where they have changed, once again, materially what the truth is saying. If it's worded in such a way that makes you believe, yeah, babies are born sinful, so therefore, A, they should be baptized, or B, you know, they've inherited Adam's sin and so forth. So anyways, just one example of what you're saying of how something like the thought for thought concept can change the meaning of a passage and that's that's an excellent point i'm glad you brought that up because that's the bias if if you have someone translating the bible who doesn't believe baptism is necessary if you have someone interpreting the bible who believes that instrumental music is part of the worship if you have someone translating the bible with their previous ideas they cannot be weeded out like you can with a word-for-word -word translation. With a word-for-word -word translation, you are handcuffed. You're chained. You can't bring your ideas into the scriptures. You can't bring your biases into the scriptures. Because if it says baptism, you have to translate it baptism. If it says salvation, you translate it salvation. If it says repentance, you translate it repentance. Whether you believe it or not is immaterial. And that's why the original translations, even though there were people from different religious faiths who were involved in the translation, those prejudices never got into the scriptures because they were forced to give word for word, tense for tense, and verb for verb, noun for noun. But when you have the ability to change the thoughts, then you get the differences like you just quoted where David did not say, that I was born sinful. He said, in sin, my mother conceived me. And there's a huge difference between that. Because if you say, in sin, my mother conceived me, it could be the mother who's the one that is sinning. Or it could mean that sin was part of that conception. It doesn't have anything to do with him. God says, the soul that sins will die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father. So you can't transfer sin from father to son. And 
but but if you believe that, then that's going to enter into your concept of the translation. And that's why I'm telling our listeners, if you have a paraphrase, just mark it down. You have the biases of the people who translated it. And this is a serious flaw that will keep us from ever coming to the knowledge of the truth. Or, as you guys are pointing out, might give us confidence in what basically is false doctrine. Well, it's in the Bible. I read it. It's right there. And, and hence, that must be the truth. And that's, that's the grave danger. If you have uh, a tainted source, then everything that comes from that source is also going to be tainted. If you have a pure source, then everything that comes from that source is going to be pure. Uh, and I think in some ways we could also point out this isn't necessarily binary, tainted, untainted. Even with paraphrases, and not to take us too far off path here, even with paraphrases, there are, there are like tighter paraphrases and there's like really loose paraphrases. There's uh, translations that are more gender neutral that kind of bias thrown in. Uh, there are some translations that are a little bit more denominational specific. And I'm thinking like, you know, the New World Translation from the Witnesses, where, you know, forget what the original underlying Greek said, you know, they're going to insert their doctrine <laughs> every place where it needs to be inserted. And just, just really far out, you know, ghetto version translations. I wouldn't even say translations, you know, ghetto versions of Bibles. Uh, ghetto speak, uh, etc. So, yeah, there's a whole spectrum. And I think the point we would want to make is certainly reject the ones that are way out there, <laughs> but also you know, as close as you can get to the original is where you want to be. Yeah. And, you know, there's actually charts out there. I have several of them in some of the sermons that I've preached. Maybe we can compile them for our listeners, but. Uh... Uh, I have, I'm looking at one here that uh, it has word for word on the left and then thought for thought in the middle and then paraphrase on the right. And then it puts the translations in there as it sees them moving from the one to the other. And so, uh, for example, they put the NS, the, the New American Standard, they put as the furthest to uh, the word for word, and then of course they have the English Standard, the King James, the New King James, the American Standard. Then they move to thought for thought, which of course is the NIV, and then they place some of those in there, the New American Bible, the New Jerusalem Bible, the today's New International Version. Uh, those are thought for thought. Then the paraphrases would be the Good News Translation, Contemporary English Version, Living Bible, the Message. And again, the, the reader, let, let the lead reader beware. If you know you're reading a paraphrase, then just mark it down that sooner or later you're going to believe something that God never said. And if you're reading a thought for thought, you have the same thing is going to happen. So when you're reading thought for thought or paraphrases, Always go back to a word for word and look at that, look at it there before you decide you're going to believe it or you're going to practice it. It's funny that you mentioned that because, and we'll say a little bit more as we start to wrap up the podcast later on, but at our website, under the topics menu item, 
under B. There's a little section there called Bible Translations. As it turns out, the graphic you mentioned happens to be embedded in the very first article uh, under Bible Translations. The, the title of the article is, Do You Use the King James Version? right in the middle of that article sounds like the graphic you were referring to with the interlinear, you know, literally word for word on the far left and extremely loose thought for thought being the quote unquote message, which was, I guess, a, a version from a 2002 uh, on the far right with all different kinds of other translations uh, in between. So uh, uh, that is a, a resource our, our listeners can, can actually you know, dig into uh, online if they like. Right. And I also have a series of sermons on inspiration. And most of what we've talked about and even more detailed is in that series. But in one of the uh, PowerPoint presentations, which of course we turned into a PDF file, uh, you'll find about six or seven of these charts different, differently laid out that will help you. And again, for those of our listeners who are overseas, and who don't have access to these, make sure you read your preface because many times the Bible that you're reading will have been not translated from the original Greek, but will have been translated from either the King James or the New King James, or it may have been translated from the NIV or some of these other translations. And so you need to be, make sure that you read the preface of your Bible to see what the philosophy of the translators were and what they used as their uh, standard upon which they made that translation. Yeah, you know what's interesting is the, to your point, Alan, about the preface and kind of trying to understand, you know, why they translated that particular translation like they did. You know, one of the things that we certainly want everybody to understand, and I think you've already conveyed, Alan, that is, number one, that the translations were not inspired. Now, there were scholarly men that went about translating these in, in a proper way. So like when we were talking about the King James Version, the American Standard, so forth, those were based on scholars that literally went through all of the available manuscripts and made translations, tried to faithfully, as you pointed out, Alan, word for word. But then, you you know, so some might ask, okay, well, that's great. We know that there are translations that we can count on or, or feel comfortable with. How about some of these others? And we've touched on, you know, hey, be careful, read the preface and all that. So, for instance, we get questions to the website. Jeff can confirm, like, hey, is this particular Bible a truthful version? You know, like the Christian Standard Bible. That was a question I'd answered a few years ago. And I was looking at that question, and, you know, they asked because the attempt of the Christian Standard Bible is to modernize it into, hey, let's use terminology that people are familiar with today. But in doing so, they've they've really changed the Bible again, as we were saying earlier, in material ways. So for instance, instead of using, you know, strong drink is really what the original Greek might, might translate. They'll use beer. Or to make it, as Jeff touched on earlier, gender inclusive in that particular Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, they'll take even simple words like brothers and change it to say brothers and sisters in an attempt to be more inclusive. But once again, they are changing what the original Greek said. So anyways, hopefully throughout this podcast, we've been able to convey to everyone that you want to be careful 
which translation you use. It's important to at least understand the basics, as Alan mentioned, so that you're not accepting some translation that has changed the Bible so much that it's really not reflecting the truth. And so anyhow, Alan, I guess it's not always easy to do that, is it? But it is an important consideration, and that's why we've had this series. Yeah, and that's why I'm trying to be so careful here to read their own statement. This is what we are trying to do. So I'm not accusing them. I am reading what they said they're doing and warning our listeners that that is a very dangerous way to approach Scripture because Jesus used tenses of verbs to make arguments. But if somebody had paraphrased Moses' words, he wouldn't have been able to do that. And they would have still erred not knowing the Scriptures because it wasn't in the Scriptures anymore. So we just have to be careful. Uh, I don't want biases. There's a lot of biases. There's a lot of prejudices. We talk a lot about prejudice these days and bias. And I would prefer to keep that out of the scriptures by just asking my translator to give me a word for word, tense for tense, and noun for noun, verb for verb translation where their biases can't get into the scriptures. And I believe that is the necessary inference of 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. These people are not inspired, and therefore they cannot combine spiritual with spiritual. They cannot give words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. They can only give words that man's wisdom teaches. So just want to warn our listeners that there are Bibles and then there are Bibles. Uh, and there are, there are scriptural Bibles that have been word for word translated. And then there are Bibles that have been really just modified to incorporate human wisdom. And yeah, they're easier to read and they're easier to follow because they didn't come from God. They came from men who are living today uh, who don't always know the scriptures well enough. Appreciate those thoughts, Alan. And, you know, our time is almost, you know, come and gone. So as we sort of uh, begin to wrap up the podcast, uh, anything else, uh, Alan, that you want to add, either in terms of the uh, inspiration or the uh, translation of the Bible? No, I, I tend to agree with you, Jeff, that we kind of went a little long here, and maybe I got a little too involved in some of these prefaces, but I just want our listeners to understand the danger of some of the ideas that men are now adding into the scriptures through their translations. Well, and the other thing I just might add a little bit to that is even with the um, you know access to the internet, you can easily get just about any translation you want online. Uh, and so you could easily be pulled, as you said, into a translation that, you know, I like the way this one reads. It's understandable. You know, it doesn't have any of the V's and the thines and the vowels of, you know, old King James. And, oh, it, it uses terms and phrases that I can, I can relate to. Oh, I like that. Be careful. Sometimes the smoother it reads, uh, the more liberties the translators took with the underlying true <laughs> word of God. Brian, any other thoughts you want to add in? Yeah, just one final thought, and I agree. Thank you, Alan, for going through this. I do feel like it's been very helpful. And, you know, I'll just refer our listeners to 2 Timothy 2.15 and say, you know, all of us have a responsibility to study God's Word. In fact, I'll just read it, you know, be diligent to present your, 
to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now that comes out of the New King James. But the bigger point here I'd like to make is that all of us have a responsibility to study and rightly divide the word of truth. And one of the biggest mistakes we can make is if we belong to a, a religion where we simply trust the leadership. In some cases, it's one man called a pastor. In other cases, it's an evangelist who may not be properly interpreting the Word of God. And so even though I have tremendous respect for Alan and his 40-plus years of preaching, and I know that Alan spends a lot of time making sure he's teaching the truth, I still have a responsibility to make sure that what he's saying matches up with God's Word. And so therefore, the translation that you use does matter, because you need to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And in doing so, if you're using a, a good translation, then you can verify anything that's being taught is accurate. And more importantly, you can apply to your life God's word and live in the way he would have you to live because you understand it properly. So anyhow, good series. Appreciate it. Uh, and I appreciate that, Brian, because that's, you know, we pretty much almost say it at every podcast. You know, don't take our word for it. Uh, don't take our website's word for it. You know, dig into it, you know, for yourself. Uh, and speaking of our website, as we always like to do, uh, BibleQuestions.org. If you look under the topics menu item, uh, as we said earlier, B for Bible translations. Uh, there's the one article that we, we mentioned earlier that has the graphical layout of the spectrum, if you will, uh, of translations uh, and the various uh, philosophies they've used for those translations. Uh, in that same area on the website under Bible translations, there's a three-part series, Lost in the Translation, More About Translations, and The Best Translations, uh, as well as, you know, some other articles that are available for our listeners, you know, to really dig into, uh, contrast the kind of translations they might be used to using with the ones that are more accurate, uh, and, you know, put their, their study and their, their faith into something more uh, reliable than some of the looser paraphrases, if you will, that we've been talking about today. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.